Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. You're listening to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in for Mina Kim. The U.S. has a much higher maternal death rate than other wealthy countries. And while California has been successful at improving maternal health outcomes in recent years, black and indigenous people still have the highest risk for complications and death. Research has shown that the use of doulas can help improve these outcomes. Doulas provide care during, um, after, before and after labor, offering emotional and physical support and critical information. California is trying to expand access to these services, but some doulas are skeptical of the state's plans. Joining us to shed more light on this issue and to talk about the role doulas are playing in helping address it is Sumaya Franklin. Uh, Sumaya Monet Franklin, my excuse me, full spectrum doula and reproductive justice advocate and founder of Sumi's Touch in Oakland. Welcome to Forum, Sumaya. Thank you for having me. Good morning. We also have Monica McLemore, associate professor of family health care nursing at UCSF. Welcome, Monica. Thank you for having me. Good morning. And we also have Chantel Runnels, doula based in Riverside County. Welcome, Chantel. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for joining me. And Sumaya, I'll start with you. I gave a very basic definition of a doula in my introduction, but would love for you to expand on that. Yes, absolutely. A doula is a community health worker who is a non-medical professional who is a provider. They can also be a familial type of connection and support. And they are someone who is a companion for people who want to conceive, who are pregnant, who are choosing to terminate, who are experiencing loss or stillbirth, who are um, in labor, who's postpartum and post after all of those experiences. There's someone who can support people physically, but not medically, like giving massage or offering some water and also with information so that they can make informed choices. And really, I like to say they're a consent guardian. They make sure that people are having experiences that they want to happen to their bodies and to their babies. And and Chantel Runnels, it's really a community-based role, right? Can you expand on that? And can you also speak specifically to the advocacy role that can happen during the birthing process? Sure. So, yeah, the role of a doula is one that starts long before um, a family will enter a hospital, you know, and cross that threshold. It's work that's been around for a long time where uh, people have come alongside families in the process to help them 
for this huge transition, right? It's not a small feat, um, whether it's bringing a baby home or dealing with a loss, right? And so a lot of our work, and I can speak specifically to my work, has to do with making sure that families feel informed and educated and empowered, whether it's at home or a birth center or at the hospital, um, in dealing with their medical providers, whether an OB, a therapist, a midwife, um, and making sure that families feel resourced, right? And that they have the driver's seat in directing their healthcare. And so the work is important because unlike a lot of other countries, right, we have an unusual number of OBs to, for instance, uh, say to midwives, right? Mm -hmm. We um, are very focused on medical uh, managed care when it comes to pregnancy and postpartum. And so in that, we in this huge industry of birthing babies, we sometimes can miss a lot of those nuances of family life that contribute to the wellness of the whole family. And so our work as doulas is really integral to the success of, of the entire family unit. And I think the whole block, <laughs> the whole neighborhood. <laughs> well, let's actually get our listeners in the conversation. Would like, would like to know if you have used a doula or are you a doula? Tell us about your experience. Call us now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. You can also get in touch on Instagram as well. And Professor McLemore, can you give us an abbreviated history of the growth in doula care? Absolutely. Well, first of all, as a registered nurse, I have to say, you know, I've worked with doulas my entire career because I've worked with pregnant capable people and they have taught me so much. And I view them as an integral part of, you know, any healthcare team. I want to say a couple of things so that the listeners really understand the scope of doulas. They've been around since the beginning of time. And quite frankly, when we think about the United States prior to COVID-19, Childbirth was the number one reason that people were admitted to hospitals and healthcare institutions. We have an estimated 4 million births a year in the United States. And 98% of births in the United States happen in hospitals. So when we think about just the phenomenon of birth and the number of births we have in the United States, it's very important for us to think about this. It's a normal physiological process. That's the other thing I want to say, you know, that, that if we're talking about, you know, the birth side of doula work, Pregnancy is a normal physiological process, right? It's not a disease state to be managed. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, it makes sense that, that doulas and other support people, community doulas and, and, and other, you know, folks who provide informational, spiritual, physical, you know, support should shepherd new humans you know, to earth, right? Mm -hmm. I, th I think we lose sight of that sometimes <laughs> when we think about, you know, medical conditions. Recently, we have understood, and a lot of people cite a systematic review of 15,000 births that was published in 2012. We took all these previous studies on doulas and continuous birth support, and we pulled the data to look at outcomes. And we found that people who had doulas, uh, continuous support during labor, we, and we've known this for years, by the way, in the global context, that they had superior birth outcomes in terms of reduced complications in appreciating uh, time to initiation for breastfeeding, for maternal infant bonding and attachment, for you know parentals feeling competent and confident in their roles. When people have the support that they need, we see that birth outcomes are improved. 
So this 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 recent attention to community doulas, the recent attention, it's really grounded in sound evidence and science, which has shown us that that when people have continuous support during labor, uh, we see less complications and we see improved outcomes. <clears throat> and so where are we now regarding some of the policy recognition of the role of doulas? Um, the state considering payments. I know Nancy Skinner has legislation proposed. Uh, there's the yeah. Momnibus Act. Yeah. Where where does this all put? Is this is this all kind of a, a good step towards more formal recognition in a positive way? Is it complicating things? Um, it's complicated. Is it a mix of both? Yeah. Yeah, it's really complicated. I mean, when I first started, you know, studying doulas as a scientist, as opposed to just working with them as a nurse. You know, I knew this was going to get really tricky because one of the things, and, and I'll let the doulas speak to this, you know, in terms of their own experience, because they can say this way better than I can. But one of the secret sauces of doulas is the fact that one of the things that they can do is work outside of the very rigorous rules that I think nurses and physicians and other people who are employees of hospitals and healthcare institutions, they, they get to work outside of those rules. And I think that that's part of the secret sauce of why they are so successful in assisting us to do things like recognize signs and symptoms of deterioration. It's unfortunate that the National Momnibus, which is 12 bills introduced by the Black Maternal Caucus uh, by Representative Alma Adams and Rep. Lauren Underwood, has been stalled because it got wrapped up as part of the Build Back Better. But that was 12 bills that were really geared towards improving maternal health outcomes in the United States, including greater access to midwifery and doulas. In California, Rep. Skinner had uh, has SB 65, which is sort of the statewide version of Momnibus, which are bills that would really allow us to improve maternal health, including greater access to, to midwives and doulas. One of the problems with some of the ways that some of these bills are being rolled out, however, is, uh, you know, requirements that make doulas not you know, be able to do the incredible work that they do, but that would make them look more like other health professions, you know, in California, i.e., certification mm -hmm. and other sort of onerous things that that we know aren't necessarily necessary for the doulas to be successful and to be competent and to be able to do the incredible work that they do. Yeah. And Samaya Monet Franklin, you offer doula training through your business, Sumi's Touch. As this policy conversation happens around the work, what are you hoping for um, for those practicing as doulas and wanting to practice? Yes, thank you so much for um, Chantal and Monica for your insight. I, as someone who trains people to be a doula, something that I also emphasize is that I can't train you to be a doula. And it sounds contradictory, but it's more so giving recognition to the fact that this is something that we've been doing since humans have existed, one. And then two, in that it's something that is really innate. It's the same way that maybe you can't teach someone how to um to cook essentially, right? It's like people are born with gifts and I really am hoping that through all of the legislation and trying to expand access that the part of the work that is um, very sacred and very innate and um, intuitive is not drowned out. So therefore it's not requirements that people must be trained through certain institutions or have to have certain certifications and papers just for them to have access to the accessibility that is um, that's possibly going to expand um, for doula care. And we've seen that happen in previous states where Medi-Cal or Medicare was um, 
insurance was expanded to doulas and then it was other contingencies like what you must be trained under these certain institutions and you must have this type of certification it really is contradictory to one to expand access because then what you're doing you're losing so many um, doulas who are community-based who are traditional birth workers who have learned through apprenticeship models um, opposed to going through institutions or through trainings mm-hmm. so it is a concern of mine and also I know that there are many colleagues of mine like Monica, for instance, who are really making sure that things like that are not going to happen and that people are going to be compensated well and that there's not going to be contingencies that actually create more obstacles indoors. And this listener asks kind of in this thread, what is the training for this? I know someone who claims to be a quote unquote birthing coach with zero formal training. Chantel Reynolds, do you have a brief response? We're coming up on a break and we can continue after. But if you have a short response to that question. Sure. Uh, Many people, you know, have some kind of childbirth education training. Um, Some are CPR first aid certified. Others have, you know, more specific trainings when it comes to placenta encapsulation or belly binding, things of that nature. But um, there is a lot of organic work to it. And so um, when people call themselves birth coaches, sometimes that has to do with maybe their style of childbirth education, right? The Bradley method, Lamaze, uh, birth from within, you know, things like that nature. Um, uh, there's a few uh, other ones out there, but yeah, there, there are different types of trainings, I think, depending on the person's, uh, focus and, uh, their approach to the birth and the birth family. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a diverse source out there for people who are looking for specific, um, characteristics, I guess. (laughs) We're talking about the role of doulas in improving birth outcomes with Monica McLemore, Associate Professor in Family Health Care Nursing at UCSF, Chantel Reynolds, doula based in Riverside County, and Sumaya Monet Franklin, full-spectrum doula and reproductive justice advocate and founder of Sumi's Touch in Oakland. And you, our listeners, if you've used a doula or if you are a doula, tell us about your experience. We have Chantel representing Riverside Counter and KVCR listeners. You can join the conversation, 866-733-6. 786. That's 866-733-6786 or email us forum at kqed.org. I'm Ariana Prail and Fermina Kim. More after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim, and we're talking about the role of doulas in improving birth outcomes with Monica McLemore, Associate Professor of Family Health Care Nursing at UCSF, Chantel Reynolds, doula based in Riverside County, and Sumaya Monet Franklin, full-spectrum doula and reproductive justice advocate and founder of Sumi's Touch in Oakland. And also you, our listeners, you can call us if you've had an experience using a doula or if you are a doula yourself, 866-733-6786. Or you can get it, or you can get in touch via email forum at kqed.org. And we do have a comment from listener Alicia who writes, 
Having a doula, and particularly a black doula, Jacqueline, during my pregnancy was one of the best decisions I made to ensure the best outcomes for both my pre- and postnatal care. Despite having to engage with Jacqueline primarily via FaceTime and Zoom given the pandemic, even in the delivery room, even in the delivery room, she was always responsive and made it clear very early on that she was not only an advocate for me and my family, but also was committed to ensuring I had all the knowledge and information to be able to advocate for myself. Samaya so Monet Franklin, can you expand a little bit on some of the experience on how what your work looked like during the pandemic? Yes, absolutely. During the pandemic, we definitely had to shift. People were still having babies. In fact, I feel like it might have even been a baby boom. So for my work, um, I typically work outside of the hospital system in the home birth setting alongside community midwives. And we definitely saw a huge influx in people. And a part of that was because people wanted to have their families and have their support with them while they were giving birth. And we wanted to find safe ways to do that during the pandemic. And the hospital systems were making policies and rules that were fluctuating, but they were going from a spectrum of no one can be with you while you give birth to only one person can be with you. At times during the pandemic, we saw that two people could be with you. And for many people, this wasn't enough because they had to choose between their partner and their doula um, accompanying them. So that's how my work looked as someone who is a mentor of many, many doulas. I saw that the doulas who were still practicing in the hospital system were having to do virtual support. They would come to the people's house with their appropriate PPE and they will support them in laboring and help them collaboratively make the decision when it was time to go to the hospital. And then when it was that time, they may accompany them even to the drive to the hospital and then they had to separate. I saw one of my students um, post on Instagram a video of her waving goodbye to her client as she entered the hospital by herself. And it really broke my heart. And she did have a beautiful birth experience. Thank, you know, thank God. But it was very complicated and took a lot of creativity for doulas to support their clients, having to be on Zoom, FaceTime, phone calls, through text messaging, and then um, sometimes reacquainting the postpartum care in the in the home after they were discharged from the hospital. Mm-hmm. Also, we saw an uptick of people having um, inductions because there weren't enough hospital beds. So hospital providers, which I understand, they're trying to find a way to this spontaneous event, labor, right? Trying to find a way to contain it so that they can optimize how many beds were available for people who were sick mm-hmm. with COVID. And this led to actually a lot of harm for pregnant people because when you are socially inducing people and not medically, then it becomes a more interventionist um, process, something that is physiological and natural and normal and should be spontaneous. It's healthiest when it's that we, we allow the body to do it. Right. And um, therefore, we did see a lot of people also having adverse um, outcomes even more and having really a lot of um, emotional and um, spiritual um, disarray. And Chantal Runnels, you work in what's termed a maternal care desert. Can you explain what that is and also a birthing story you've witnessed and participated in where access to care was a challenge? Yeah, so I serve uh, families in San Bernardino County and Riverside County. And 
those two counties are massive, some of the largest in the state of California, right? We stretch all the way to the border of Arizona and Nevada. And so we serve moms. And um, I say we because I'm a part of a number of collectives that um, help provide free doula services to women in these areas um, who have to drive over an hour, sometimes as much as two hours to receive maternal health care. And that's problematic, um, not just for prenatal care, but then um, something I'm passionate about is the postpartum care, right? How are we um, able to support families in um, those early months, right? Six, seven, eight months prior to when people really start getting into gear, you know, and thinking about bringing baby home. And there are things that we can do to support um, uh, pre-existing conditions or conditions that emerge during the pregnancy that can, uh, it, you know, impact their birth story and also their postpartum experience. And so, you know, I have, uh, I've had moms who have had to travel, you know, and have birth in the mountains or the high desert where C-section rates often are higher. And so their support, um, in that, in, having other options, whether it's a VBAC, whether it's um, knowing uh, the difference between the different interventions and augmentations. And, you know, it it is unfortunate because it doesn't have to be that way. But because of where they live and because of where our resources are located, then, um, then their help is limited. And so, yeah, I have a ton of stories. I'm trying to think of, of one off the top of my head. But you know, it's looked like, you know, similar to what Samaya was uh, speaking to, particularly during the pandemic, you know, going to people's homes, being in the thick of it with them, kind of giving them the play-by-play of what to expect and helping, you know, families make the most of the resources they do have access to. Uh, one of the programs I'm a part of, um, Sankofa Birth Workers, is now um, serving clients in the high desert and the low desert where, you know, if people want to give birth in a city like Fontana or receive um, high-risk care for their child at Loma Linda, they're having to sit on the 15 in traffic for over two hours. And, you know, that is really stressful, especially when gas is almost $7 a gallon, right? Mm -hmm. That's just a small detail. And so uh, one mom, for instance, um, that I helped real quick, uh, she lived up in um, the lower desert is what we would call it. And so what it looked like is when it came close to her due date, um, us getting a hotel, you know, nearby the hospital, so she wouldn't have to drive for, you know, a few hours and making sure we let the village chip in and, you know, and that that care was accessible to her so she could have the VBAC she desired. And um, everything worked out and she was able to have a VBAC after having two C-sections. And um, and I'm really grateful that I was, you know, had that opportunity to support her. But there are many more families that, um, you know, because of the sheer distance to quality, cultural, competent care, um, you know, end up in events that aren't the nest, aren't the most positive outcomes, right? Mm. Um, maybe baby does come home safe and sound, mom comes home safe and sound, but are we dealing with maybe a long-term healing from another C-section? Are we dealing with interrupted breastfeeding support, um, things of that nature? And so, or postpartum anxiety and mood disorders, which is huge, particularly mm. after this pandemic. Um, so, but I'll let the others add to that as well. But yeah, the maternal healthcare desert is a real thing. And not just, you know, in California, um, many, you know, rural places where women are having to drive, you know, yeah. if they have access to a vehicle, right? Uh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> well, Professor McLemore, I have a comment here uh, that I want to get 
your reaction to, and I have a couple questions related to it. So this listener writes, as a women's health clinician, it is my duty and responsibility to ensure that my black pregnant patients are given the facts and data on the health disparities that exist and give them all the tools and coaching to ensure that they do not become one of these statistics. Part of this is having the conversation about advocacy during delivery and having a black doula to be there beside them and throughout the whole pregnancy. It's vital to their health and life and the health and life of their baby. It's a matter of life and death. Uh, so some reactions to that coming from a, a clinician who is who has seen the importance in this in this advocacy on behalf of black pregnant patients. And then also just take us back to what's causing the increasing rate of maternal mortality. Why is the mortality rate even higher among black and brown women? Well, thank you for the question. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk, not just as a clinician, but also we have some data around this. So, you know, first of all, the racialized component to understanding doulas and, and their important work also needs to be named. I mean, I, I was remiss in, in saying that in terms of certification, it's not the only potential barrier that we have in, in the unintended consequences of trying to use policy to bring forward greater access to doulas. There, there's a piece about racial concordance that I think needs to be named. And, you know, data that I have with colleagues and collaborators, not just in California, but around the country, when you think about the study we conducted and published, you know, right before the pandemic, and I would like to remind listeners, we're still in a pandemic, um, showed that one out of six people, regardless of your race and ethnicity, one out of six birthing people, this is a nationally representative survey that we did uh, with the birthplace lab and in, in, with some collaborators in, in Vancouver, British Columbia, you know, one out of six people reported mistreatment whether they were being you know, scolded at by providers, yelled at, treatment being withheld, not listened mm. to, not heard. Um, you know, This disrespectful treatment, this mistreatment that people are having during the birthing experience was experienced one in six birthing people, right? I mean, our workplaces mm. are inhumane. And so when we think about this notion, right? I mean, we've brought up the pandemic as an example, but you know, when you think about the fact that, that we thought it was okay to have birthing people shepherd new humans to this planet by themselves alone when we already had an existing black maternal health crisis is really problematic. I mean, two years ago to this day, I wrote a commentary in Scientific American about how COVID-19 was no reason to abandon pregnant people, right? That we needed to find a better way to be able to care for pregnant capable people. In the United States, we have an estimated between 800 and 900 maternal deaths every year as documented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So I'd like to explain to people that maternal deaths, uh, just numerically, are actually rare events. The problem is that we know that there is a two to three fold gap in who's dying. So black women are, are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy related complications in childbirth and pregnancy. The other harrowing statistic around that is we believe that 60% of those deaths are preventable yeah. because 40% of them happen in the postpartum period, right? So you have a condition where we have a, a preventable you know, situation, but we are unable to identify those deaths. And a lot of them, our data and data from other groups have shown that we miss signs and symptoms of deterioration because we're not listening to people. We miss signs and symptoms of deterioration because patients use different language than what clinical algorithms are accustomed to. That's why having doulas is so important. They meet people prenatally. Yeah. They know folks, especially if they're in the community. They know the language they use. They know how when something just is not right. 
doulas have a spidey senses around the people that they serve, especially community doulas, because they live in the communities, they work in the communities, they support community members. And so they have a better sense of what's going on with pregnant capable people in a time sensitive situation like pregnancy and childbirth. And so for me, their perspective needs to be amplified. They need to be listened to because they become the voice of the patient in in situations that are very urgent. Mm -hmm. That said, I think all Black patients need to be able to have access to doulas because we know that disproportionately maternal deaths are born or are having to be bared by Black birthing people. Just a reminder to our listeners that you're listening to Forum, and I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. Just as you're speaking, Professor McLemore, it is taking me back to know that Serena Williams wrote this op-ed. And I know I hate to bring in kind of the most obvious kind of celebrity um, birthing story, but I think Mm -hmm. it also just reminds us that, too, that this isn't limited to certain sectors of income, right? This is across the spectrum that women are facing. and, And for those not familiar with Serena Williams' story, you know, she had a lot of complications postpartum. And, you know, an athlete who knows her body inside and out, and she was sensing, she said, something is wrong, and they were not readily responding to her. And she had to really fight to have her voice heard and respected um, that whatever their machines were saying, oh, you're okay in this. No, she knew that something was wrong. Um, Samaya Franklin, do you have a reaction just to, you know, those kinds of stories, which I'm sure you, you hear about all the time? Well, of course, I have a reaction. Absolutely. Um, I think that something that's really important to add to the nuance of this conversation is that doulas are not going to save Black people from having adverse outcomes solely, right? We are a part of the solution, but we are not the solution. And I think that even with a lot of legislation that's going on right now, it's kind of being, this picture is being painted that doulas are solely the solution. And it's really a scapegoat in some ways because the onus does not lie in the people, the onus lies in the system. And that's why Serena Williams' story is so profound in, um, in bringing it up because we see that despite class, despite marital status, despite, um, you know, so many social um, groupings and categories that you would think would save people if you have state-of-the-art, if you have state-of-the-art technology, that's going to save you. But it's actually not going to save you. And her story shows us that because she's still a Black person. And what was going on with her was very preventable. If you just listened to her, then she would have got the care she needed, you know, a lot sooner because she almost died. And Mm -hmm. although we're talking about maternal deaths right now, there's also even more, many, many, many near misses. I've witnessed near misses. If I was not in the room, I had a client who had a preterm birth and she um, gave birth at a hospital in Oakland. And after she gave birth, everyone left and the placenta was still inside of her. And the placenta was coming out of her and she was hemorrhaging. And I'm someone who has the skills, doesn't know how to deal with that. And I did so to save her life. And we were yelling for support and no one was hearing us. No one came in. And when a nurse did come in, she admitted to me that I have no clue what to do right now. She was in shock. And in fact, that there are 50,000 cases per year of near misses. This is an underestimate, actually. And mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I was just I was just going to bring in Professor McLemore to 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 tack on if she had any thoughts on Serena Williams story as well. Yes, 
Yeah, I mean, her story is perfect, you know, in terms of understanding the constellation of the complexity of this problem. I would argue that not only did she write her own first person account in CNN and told her story to Vogue in January, but Beyonce turned around in September and did the exact same thing, right? These are the wealthiest women, Black women in our current times, right? These are the most fit, right? The people who use their bodies to generate millions slash billions of dollars of income, right? So these are like, if they are not listened to, then I have deep concerns about the near misses that we know. And that again, CDC data estimated, we have 50,000 near misses every year in the United States. And we think that's an underestimate. And what that means is someone may have a hemorrhage or they may have a situation where they have an amniotic fluid embolus, or they have a situation where, you know, they uh, have a develop a blood clot. Like near misses means that you have a serious clinical condition, but you don't die. Right. right? And so that that is almost, you know, a hundred times full larger than maternal deaths. We always talk about maternal mortality, but we also don't discuss maternal morbidity. Right. This idea that you could have a serious medical event that happens to you during pregnancy and childbirth that also disrupts breastfeeding and familial bonding. Like if a mom has to stay in ICU and we saw this with COVID-19, right, that that means that that family is not going home together as a familial unit that has, you know, psychological impacts. It has you know mental health impacts. It has physical impacts. So it's nice that you survive pregnancy and childbirth, but like death isn't the worst thing that can can happen and or occur. Well, I wish we had more time to talk. I've really enjoyed talking with you and I have so many more questions, um, but I hope this has really piqued the interest of our audience for those who are not as familiar. We've been talking about the role of doulas in improving birth outcomes with Monica McLemore, Associate Professor in Family Health Care Nursing at UCSF, Chantel Reynolds, doula based in Riverside County, and Sumaya Monet Franklin, full spectrum doula and reproductive justice advocate and founder of Sumi's Touch in Oakland. Thank you all so much for your work. I'm Ariana Prail and Fermina Kim. You've been listening to Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.